Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. And there's a really exciting and new release from Chess.com that I've enjoyed using. It's called Classroom. This feature allows you to easily go over a game live with a friend or a club member that you just played. And you can do so interactively on the board with both of you on video talking to each other. It's also a great way to have a lesson between a student and a coach. And you can check that out on chess.com slash classroom. Do you want to have an exclusive say in the direction of this show? Is there a topic you want me to cover to help your chess? Or is there a guest you'd love to hear from? That's exactly what you get when you join my online membership, Chess Improver Monthly. You get to vote on this show's topics, guests, and even get bonus interview content from those who appear on the show. And those are just some of the benefits of joining. There's a link to join the membership in the show notes and on the webpage for this episode. So go to the show notes, then click to join Chess Improver Monthly. Welcome to the show. First, I just want to mention that I'm sorry for this being released two days later than usual. I almost always release an episode on Tuesday, but I recently ran into some difficulties with guest schedules, and then there were some tech issues with the recording. Sometimes it's a little challenging to be perfect when running a show like this by yourself, but after this week, we'll be on schedule with regular Tuesday releases. With that out of the way, let's get to this week's episode, which features an awesome coach, streamer, and course creator, Angelika Valkova. Angelika is a superb chess player with a FIDE rating of 2,075. She's been coaching kids and adults alike for the past seven years. Angelika also has a popular Twitch channel, which you can find under the name Angelika Chessborn. And just last month, she also released her first opening repertoire course for 1D4 on Chessable. And she created it with her friend, Grandmaster Yula Pop. This brings me to my next point. Very shortly before I recorded this interview with Angelica, she proposed the idea of having Grandmaster Yula appear on part of the episode with her to join her in discussing the course and answering some improvement questions. So, me being someone who likes to find ways to keep the show exciting and different sometimes, I welcomed her bringing on her GM friend for some excellent insights. This is still mostly an episode that features Angelica, but later we'll have GM Yula on for part of the episode. And in the interview, we talk about her chess journey, her experience coaching kids versus adults, how they went about creating a 1D4 course, and we answer a couple of improvement questions from Twitter followers. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Angelica. I'm excited to have you on the show. How are you today? Hello, Daniel. Uh, it's great. It's a pleasure being here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm great today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm excited to speak with you. Um, we've kind of followed each other over the past year or so on Twitter. and uh, Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've been a big fan of, uh, of uh, everything that you, uh, you put out, especially now that you also have a very cool chessable course, which we'll talk about later. And um, yeah, before we get into that part of the interview, uh, I just kind of want to start with uh, learning more about your own chess journey. Let's start very simple. Like, where were you born and raised? 
So yeah, actually, I uh, I'm Ukrainian, so I come from Ukraine, uh, and I uh, was born in Nikopol. Uh, it's not very small town, but uh, yeah, it's it's on the river of Dnipro, and uh, it's actually directly opposite the nuclear power station. Uh, if you currently know, it's been occupied by Russia. Yeah, and um, it's uh, my town being shot right now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah. But I live, I, but I live in Germany, so mm-hmm. uh, I li- I've been living here actually for five years already. So yeah, and some of my uh, family members came uh, after the war started here. I see, I see. Yeah, well, I just want to mention I'm very sorry for all that. I mean, it's a, it's a very tragic uh, situation. Even that feels like that that feels like an understatement. Doesn't do it justice, but uh, for what's happening. But yeah, I'm very sorry for you and, and your family and your and your country. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really, you know, I really. Um, of course, I'm very sad that what is happening, but I'm very excited to see all the kind of support the world communities uh, uh, trying to do to Ukraine, especially also chess community. It's 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 great. Yeah, yeah, that is um, something that has been good to see for sure. I want to talk a little bit about you know your your chess life, uh, your early chess life. I read a bio of you that you had on your your um, Twitch channel, and it mentioned that you learned to play chess at, at age five. And uh, obviously along the way, over the years, you became a really talented player with a FIDE rating in the 2000s. What was your your chess journey like as a kid from that five-year-old start that you had? Were you eventually studying hours every day as a, as a kid? Uh, how did that unfold for you? So actually, uh, you know, yeah, I've learned how to play chess uh, at the age around like four or five. But uh, to be honest, so I learned chess pieces already si- since the year of two. So I was really very small and uh, I was kind of a early kid and I knew the, the name of chess pieces uh, at that age. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then a little bit later, at the age of four or five, uh, my grandmother and um, uh, my, my grandmother, grandfather and my mom. So they all play chess. So they, they taught me how to play and uh, they uh, brought me to the chess club at the age of five, exactly, and that was the first time um, I actually had experience with with a chess coach. Uh, in my town, um, there were not so many great players. I mean, like there were like no, there are no grandmasters from there. They're not even masters of sports. So, um, hmm. so the candidates of masters was my, um, I would say, my first real coach. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, um, yeah, and I've been started with actually town tournaments. And uh, to be honest, chess was not my um, like priority from the day number one. I had also other things. So I w- I've been learning um, foreign languages, English and German. And uh, yeah, also try to concentrate on school. So it was not really my priority. So I had like three, four time lessons a week. It was around like two hours with my coach and... Um, yeah, I cannot say that I was studying, you know, every day uh, uh, very long, but uh, but I've been playing the Ukrainian championships, so I uh, really wanted to connect my life somehow with chess. I mean, my uh, my parents wanted me to, and I also re- it was really exciting to to have chess in my life. And uh, uh, yeah, and uh, then basically at some moment when it was around the time I was just about to enter the university, I stopped uh, really training that much and started concentrating on 
studying. And that was actually around the moment where I started coaching. Oh, okay. Um, you mentioned that as you were um, getting into chess or getting serious about it, I guess, or at least somewhat serious. Uh, <laughs> I know you said it wasn't like constant or the only priority. Was there a point like between when you were a kid and when you went to university that it, it was a priority for you in your life? Was there ever like a period where that was true? Or were you always int- almost equally interested in other things at the same time? So my coach actually at some moment, I, I believe I was like around 10 or 12 years old, he told that um, that we should, you know, uh, just put in the trash basically the, the languages and just concentrate on chess <laughs> if I want to achieve really something. But, you know, language is also something very important. And actually, it helped me later in my life. So, like, luckily, because of because of the languages, I, I, I live in Germany now, you know, otherwise, I would not be able to uh, also have more um, travels in, in this way and more friends worldwide. So, yeah, but I can say, of course, that I, I uh, was playing uh, basically every year. I was playing the Ukrainian championships uh, in the... Um, between the girls, I was even a uh, couple of times I was third, so I got the bronze medal uh, a few times. So it was it was also very nice. Um, but um, but yeah, I have never unfortunately won uh, any championships. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, my mm, basically my mom was always there with me. She was she was helping me to um, basically more, even more than the coach. Sometimes she was always there with, on the tournaments with me. And uh, she was she was believing actually that the chess should be main thing for me rather than uh, languages. But of course, I didn't give up on it. And one day, actually, it was 2009. I was uh, 12, 13 years old. And at that moment, actually, the, uh, there wasn't one invitation from Germany to play German tournament and start playing for German club. And mm, one of the reasons was also that I learned some German. So not only that I'm a chess player, but also because I know some German and English. So that's how my journey uh, in um, Germany actually started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Well, I mean, it's kind of a nice... Uh, I, I appreciate your story of how everything uh, kind of came to be for you because it's it's uh, it's got like a nice well-rounded aspect to it. Like, you know, you had other goals and other priorities in your life, like you said, with learning languages and that, that too gave you opportunities. And, and in a certain way, like you said, you've sort of combined it sort of combined the opportunities that chess and language have given you <laughs> into exactly. into one thing sometimes. That's sort of refreshing to hear, actually, to me. Um, not that, uh, you know, I don't very much appreciate all the other guests and their stories and the people who dedicate, you know, like 100% of their life to to chess. But it is nice to hear of someone who got really good at chess, but still also has these other interests and passions that, that they've developed. So I, I think that's a, um, a unique quality for your story, uh, at least you know, as it relates to other guests on the show. And I think that's, that's really cool. So I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. And of course, also, sorry, just to mention quickly that singing, of course, was also one of the things I was, I was kind of trying to improve when I was uh, (laughs) a kid and currently also (laughs) on my streams sometimes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I noticed that in some of your videos that you that you sing. I was like, Oh, wow, she can sing too. That's really cool. Um, That's not common for chess players. so what's one of your favorite memories uh, with chess growing up? It can be something simple, just like learning with a family member. Or it could be 
a, me- a great memory you had at a tournament. Just anything is fine. Oh, I think, uh, of course, like beating uh, my grandfather, uh, you know, in chess because he was like kind of the boss of chess in the family. <laughs> I would say <laughs> like this, and yeah, it was it was really great. Uh, a uh, great memory, but I believe actually the one which we came uh, slowly to just first, you know, travel so to say abroad to Germany. It was one of the also very one of the greatest actually my experience of chess as a kid because uh, one one thing when you travel just uh, you know around the country or like to Russia or Belarus, you know, of course I've I've been there plenty of times. And uh, yeah, but but another thing is when somewhere in Europe where there is foreign language, and uh, so that has been uh, my a really really great experience because because of the way I think that we also been um, accepted there, and uh, the the way also chess is treated, how differently it is treated in Germany compared to Ukraine. For example, when I came uh, to Germany, uh, we realized that actually chess here is treated like more like a hobby. So it's mm. not that much competitive as we have it in Ukraine. So basically in Ukraine, you must, you know, like you must study your, like everyone is, is studying. Everyone is trying to, uh, you know, beat someone to win the championships and so on. And in Germany, it was like more like a hobby and not so many um, compared to Ukraine, of course, like uh, really uh, players who are dedicated their life to it. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, for anyone who's listened to me regularly on the show, they know that I'm I'm always interested in um, different chess cultures and the way chess is either prioritized or not prioritized in in different countries. And I've often be- <laughs> sort of become envious of those in Europe and how much more important chess is um, culturally than the United States. Um, you know, between the two. <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, that doesn't, I mean, now I guess I kind of have an awareness that, that Ukraine is, is pretty big on chess. And that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't have expected such a big drop off in going to Germany. That does surprise me a little. I thought maybe it would have been roughly equal, but apparently not. Huh? Of course, it's um, all, you know, relative from case to case, but it was just my general uh, opinion on this. And yeah, the club which I was joining and yeah, the, the children which I was seeing so I could compare it to the children in Ukraine and yeah, how it was, uh, how it was in Ukraine and how it is in Germany. So yeah, uh, there yeah. was actually no pressure also on the children, you know, in that way, in that regard that they were not really forced to like study if they wanted, they could play if they didn't want, they could play like this tandem, like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so basically. <laughs> you mentioned that when you went to university, you got interested in coaching. Was that around the time that you decided to make chess uh, a priority for yourself in, in, as a, like a career going forward? Was it part of a bigger decision, basically, for chess in your life? Not yet. <laughs> Not at that moment yet. <laughs> Not at that so, moment. So, yeah, so I guess my follow-up with them would be like, at yeah. what point did it become yeah, bigger for you? So maybe I can also still uh, talk a little bit about that time. So once I just... Um, basically went to university, it was in Kiev, so I moved out and basically wanted to live independently, so I had to somehow earn money. So that was actually the the way how I wanted to, you know, not be uh, dependent on my family. And I started uh, giving private lessons in English, German, and also coaching children in the groups. That was my first experience in coaching, actually, uh, coaching children and like groups. Uh, uh, it would, it were, there were different groups, basically, like, um, like even three-year-olds or 
like older, so like many groups uh, I had. And uh, after yeah, one year, I moved to Germany and I actually been coaching uh, here already German uh, children. And it was again, like I could, I could see the difference of them and I would say like a couple years ago when I when I started to play in the um in the women Bundesliga here in Germany that was probably the one of the uh, biggest moments when I decided I would like to improve and uh, uh also closer to the moment when uh, it was uh, it was a time to start creating the chessable course where I realized it um that I also don't really want to spend so many hours on the you know preparation for the games but also I would like to um to really have some stable repertoire and when we started working with my coach uh, and also my best friend grandmaster Pabdula so um so basically yeah, only a few, few years ago I would say because before I had always university and um like chess was somehow always I I always enjoyed playing chess I played been playing tournaments I had always the, the students uh, but um, um, it ne- has never been like basically full actually right now it's also not yet the full time what I'm doing but I, I'm switching to it it's it's really priority for now uh, for me um, and uh, actually for last couple of years I've been coaching the adults only so I switched from children to after actually the the lockdown started it changed oh, okay. a lot, yeah. That was a question I was going to ask you too. As you were talking, I was thinking of is the the age range that you've you've coached of so children, and then more recently in the past couple of years, adults. That's great. Yeah, because uh, because you know the, the children, it's not so easy to to coach them online. It's possible, but I didn't want to try. <laughs> it just just felt too hard. So, uh, I mean, I I did a couple of. Uh, uh, lessons with a fellow, fellow like uh, students and but then at some moment uh, we decided to stop because it I saw that it's bring more sense when the lockdown is over and and okay then at some moment I switched around yeah late 2000 I would say like to 2020 September or something I switched to to the uh, to the adults and um, yeah and I'm pretty happy <laughs> with with, uh, with my choice <laughs> Yeah. So I have to ask, because I'm always curious when I get the chance to talk to someone who's coached children uh, and then adults in kind of in that order, what differences did you notice uh, in coaching adults? What stood out? You know, the adults also can be children in some way. (laughs) (laughs) In the way of coaching, you still have to somehow push them and try to be disciplined, but they, you know, they try to, to, to to seem to seem to be adults, so to say. Uh, but of course there is a huge difference for example of coaching like someone who is three year old of course you cannot like coach more than like 20 30 minutes there will be no more attention anymore so those were were really really uh, short lessons um with with very um and it was like the group of kids so it was not only one (laughs) one three-year-old there were like five or six uh, so it was pretty pretty tough uh, so in that regard, it's 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 easier for the coach, probably for me, for me personally. Um, but um, I mean, of course, also the um, the way how you coach is is also different. There are some types of uh, different um, 
like fairy tales or something that can help you uh, to to get interest from the kid to chess what is different of course by adults because it's their own decision they already decided they're they're interested in chess and um, but on the other hand you also have to keep that interest uh, for them uh, because it's not only your um, task as a coach to um, try to teach someone something so like um Okay, let's learn this opening. Let's let's improve your tactical skills, skills, and um, or like end games. But also, it's important that people still enjoy the game because you can just make it, you know, too much. You just can push too much, and uh, then people are losing the interest in the, the game. So that's the most important to still uh, have it um, have it um, with the, with the students. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Um, and your first uh, statement about the differences is is, uh, is really funny and and probably true more often than adults would like to admit. Um, <laughs> uh, I just had uh, one other question for you about your the transition that you made. There's sort of a transition in, in in making chess a career and a, a bigger priority in your life, at least in terms of helping other people. What made you say, okay, I want to, uh, you know, I want to focus on helping other people with chess and I want that to be a big part of my life. Mm, you know, that uh, also being like myself, when I, when I look back at the times uh, when I was, uh, I was uh, having a coach uh, um, in Ukraine, uh, it was not very effective. So it was like kind of in a way experiment for, for him because I was one of the first students so I saw that maybe there should be more students who can who can make it. And actually, one of the uh, one of the things why I decided to go and try to be like a, in a way a teacher b- because I always uh, taught something new about computers and uh, some other things uh, about the techniques like mobile phones and so on. My grandfather and uh, normally no one could explain to him better than I, and he always told me that I'm very good. Uh, at explanation and I'm very good uh, teacher and so on and also other people once but it was of course long time before and um, and then I decided so why not to implement that in chess and uh, also uh, it's also in a way um, uh, of course the opportunity to earn some money so it's of course uh, not only that I also of course I would like to help people but also that's also another um, very um um, very good way to spend your time and also uh, and also earn some money so that uh, you have to talk about the thing which you love and uh, to make other people understand it better um, yeah um, I mean I just I just you know maybe you can uh, see it the way that chess was never my priority but uh, for a long time uh, and, and some articles in Germany actually um, people were when they were telling my story and I was saying some quotes, I always said that chess is not uh, the hobby, chess is my life. And uh, that's true because like, it's like basically my, my background and, and everything. And, you know, other things are just somehow addition. Mm, and, you know, also I'm a, I finish university. I have, uh, I'm bachelor and master, my bachelor and master degree in philology, English and German, and also interpreting. So like all together, and uh, I also think what people from my university are doing right now, and you know, some of them really don't really enjoy their work, and the the, um, the chess is something um, really special to me. And um, for example, anytime I have a lesson, it's not something which I'm forced to do; it's something what I'm doing with pleasure. And especially after you know, 
Uh, I see that my uh, students have some results, they improve, they they tell that they improve, uh, that they see better, that they understand better. It's always a pleasure to continue. Yeah, that's great. I love hearing all those reasons of uh, uh, why, you know, you wanted to make chess, uh, uh, particularly helping other people with chess, uh, a big part of your life. And um, that's really exciting. And I uh, relate a lot to <laughs> to what you were saying in, in terms of seeing people who are maybe not so happy with their careers or they're not that passionate about it. And uh, as you said, you know, chess has always been uh, a big passion for you. So um, that's great that you are going in that route. So yeah. that's, that's really great. <laughs> Speaking of your your chess career now um, and helping other people, uh, recently you launched a chessable course that is a one d four repertoire, which is really exciting. And I I remember seeing it on Twitter and being uh, being announced by Chessable and you, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing! I didn't know you were working on a course, and uh, I got really excited to see that. The artwork is amazing. the uh, The course looks phenomenal. I looked through it a bit. And um, did you buy the course? Uh, well, I'm a 1E4 player, so that's the oh. thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Otherwise, yes, I would have. But like as, uh, you know, adult improver, very limited time. I don't know about switching my repertoires. If I had more time, if I had all the time in the world for chess, which I wish I did, I would. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, that's really exciting. So my first question for you about it is just uh, how did you decide to create this course? I think you alluded to that a little bit already, but, you know, I'll just ask it more more directly what inspired the creation of this course yeah exactly we touched slightly this topic but uh so yeah around um i mean earlier than one year ago so like beginning of 2021 and later i was playing uh, starting playing tournaments in the summer and it was pretty tough to prepare because i always had to prepare against uh, every opponent with you know basically a few hours i had to spend like three hours for the game sometimes even more and uh, um i i realized of course i I had some kind of repertoire which i had from my previous coaches which i was playing but it was not uh, it was not perfect and some lines were pretty dubious and uh, (laughs) that was also the moment yes when i started uh, to work with um, uh, grandmaster pabula and uh uh, so together we uh, started thinking what to do, and I made one d four player. And actually, I've been playing one d four almost my whole chess life, uh, which is actually the majority of my life. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so I started with one d four, but I was playing one d four maybe for one or two years. So like basically till the age of seven, I don't know eight maximum, and then I. Uh, then my coach said to me that I have to play 1d4. So that's uh, how I started way long time before uh, everything. And uh, yeah, and that's why um, that's why uh, we wanted to do the, actually the repertoire for me. And uh, then we saw that it can be also uh, the repertoire also for, for other people. So it can be also helpful. And, you know, also when you're coaching someone uh, or coaching some group of people you just you don't you cannot have like i don't know hundreds of students it's impossible but with this uh, chessable feature it's actually a very great opportunity because you can release the course and basically have a lot of students help much more people than you would have helped if you have just private lessons so that's basically how it started that's great i love hearing that uh, you know kind of it was it was created out of your own needs for uh, a better uh, 1d4 repertoire 
Um, and as a fun surprise that I've never done on this show before, we're bringing in a guest who is not like formally advertised or maybe expected by the listeners. And uh, that is your coach, Grandmaster Yula. We're really excited to have you, uh, sir. And uh, first, to just just say hello to everybody. And we're happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, so I am the the coach of uh, Angelica, Grandmaster from uh, Hungary, and basically we did this one uh, D four course for Chessable together. Yeah, that's really exciting. Okay, this is a question I could ask Angelica too, but I'll ask you since uh, you just you just uh, appear now on the show. Did you suggest that this repertoire maybe could be turned into a Chessable course, or was it Angelica's idea? It was rather Angelica's idea, so <laughs> I mean, uh, as a as a student, I would anyway suggest lines to Angelica and you know help uh, her to create a repertoire. But yes, she had this uh, she had this idea, and then of course some some of the choices uh, we changed. But yeah, it it was rather her idea. I don't know. Maybe this is a silly question. You'll have to forgive me. I'm not. I'm not actually used to talking to too many grandmasters, in spite in spite of uh, in spite of having this show. So forgive me if this is. Uh, I don't know. Not not a very intelligent question. But are you a one D four player yourself, or do you need to be to to help Angelica with her coaching? No, it's it's a great question, and all questions are great in general. You know, that's that's one of the actually most <laughs> important things of my when I give lessons. I say that all questions are great. So. The, the only bad thing is that if someone is afraid to ask or, you know, afraid that, okay, I will have a bad opinion if... <laughs> okay, uh, so I don't think I have to be a 1D4 player to uh, to help Angelica with this because of, the, because of the rating difference and general experience, I would sure. say. And... But mostly when I was, let's say trying to get my international master norms and grandmaster norms uh, mainly I, I started with 1d4 mm -hmm. or knight f3 and 1c4 so like this uh, this complex I would yeah. say but but the lines are actually completely different so nothing basically from from those times uh, feature in this course pretty much so I mean a little bit but uh, mainly not Sure. And I guess this is a question that could go to either of you. So uh, maybe you could hear from both of you on this uh, in your experiences. It seems like a majority of chessable courses is done by, you know, one one person, one author. Uh, but there are quite a few where that, that are collaborations. And um, so I'm always curious how those collaborations work because I've never actually had a chance to talk with um, somebody about that who's created a course with someone else on the show. Uh, just how that process works. The relationship between you two, the working relationship between you two on this is interesting because you're her coach. If you have like, um, you know, a chapter, say, to work on on this particular part of the opening, does Angelica create the outline and then you flesh it out with her or is it the opposite? How does how does that process work? You know, Daniel, he's a coach, but I'm the boss. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so i mean basically first thing what we had to decide through from the beginning were the were the lines and of course uh we're doing that together so but of course uh Dula gave uh the direction uh because he understood what 
it is better for me to play? How is it better to go? Like which which variation? So for example, the main idea was to to play as many different positions as possible to have more experience. So for example, in some positions we had one uh, ideas in the middle game, for example, to go for the two bishop advantage or some other opening. Um, we could go immediately to the end game, for example, trading queens and trying to um, seek for the advantage there. Uh, in the other also openings, we, we even sacrifice some material to gain uh, to gain some initiative, some pawn or something. Uh, and in the gambits, but, uh, so again, the gambits, the main idea was not to give the initiative. So uh, sometimes we're just, we're not, not accepting those. So uh, like a banker gambit, for example. So that uh, that's one of the ideas. And uh, yeah, so first, uh, so basically the most fundamental was to choose what, what to uh, have. And also the difficult part uh, was, I believe, I don't know, maybe uh, Nula will join me about the... Um, the whole amount of um, affluence and everything, because it's uh, it's 1d4 repertoire, which is very huge, of course. So it's not that for repertoire for black, which uh, you know includes just uh, answer on some move, but uh, you basically have to be ready to against everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you. I mean, uh, anything you want to add to that about about how the process you know worked between you two? Yeah, sure. So yeah, basically in the way Angelica said, so first it was to to pick the lines and basically I kind of uh, gave directions to her. And I mean, I had an original idea, which which I believe, um, practically speaking, can be pretty successful. Uh, at least that's my experience when I was at that level where Angelica is or when I had lower uh, ratings. So I really believe in uh, playing psychologically or uh, you know stylistically unpleasant uh, openings mm -hmm. so so what does that mean that if, if my opponent uh, wants to play the king's indian I, I definitely will not let uh, him or her to attack my king so i look for a, a variation when it's not possible again mm -hmm. in the grunfeld my opponent wants to break with c5 I, i'm looking for a line where i make it either impossible or very difficult Mm -hmm. and so on and so on so like basically as Angelica said against gambits not only we most of the time do not accept gambits but rather we sacrifice against these players who want to play very actively so that was kind of the overarching idea and and for this we were looking uh, lines together which uh, we were kind of satisfied that it will uh, fulfill fulfill this idea I mean in some cases it was not very uh, very easy to be honest but uh, so this this was the the main idea which I had and I believe at the end I, I'm quite happy what uh, what we did together how Angelica presented and analyzed this whole thing so yeah and also some openings for example or like against some openings from black uh Sometimes we had to go for some different lines. For example, it was already like repeated in the other courses of chessable. So we also had to look at that. So it's not it was not just just only our decision, but sometimes also um, maybe if there was a choice between two lines, which for example equally uh, great for us. So for the for the course, uh, we would go for the one which was like unexplored, so to say, in, in chessable uh, courses. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, that was actually extremely important for us to bring uh, 
new material mm-hmm. everywhere it is possible and mm. I, I believe we, we managed. Yeah, that's great. Um, I like hearing the story of how you two interacted. It's uh, like I said, I've always wondered <laughs> how, how um, you know, teams of chessable authors work together so that's nice to get an insight into that sorry sorry to interrupt you so just uh, as you said our case is very special i believe in this so like for example uh, grandmaster uh, ganguly and kasim jana probably is interacting in a different way yes. um, i assume but as, as a coach and student so like yes angelica said uh, she is the boss but in, in some in some areas, I believe he. That was a joke. She, she, she gave me some, uh, yeah, some some final words. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. I'm sure I'm sure it's different when it's, um, you know, coach and student creating a course together for sure. Uh, that said, just any backstory or you know behind the scenes explanation of how that works is is really fascinating to me. A key question I have for you about the course that's very relevant for my audience, and I, I don't know, uh, Yula, how familiar you are with the show and who the audience is, but uh, the show is for uh, adult chess players, you know, who are pretty committed to, to trying to improve. That's always something that's interesting to me when it comes to chessable courses is, you know, how you decide who will be the audience. And then from that, how you try to create a repertoire that's appropriate to that audience. So, you know, I know that this is based off of, Angelique, I know this is based off of your, uh, you know, your own experience as, as a competitive player in creating a 1D4 repertoire for yourself. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you had an eye towards people who are more at the club level in creating this. And if so, like, how did you, you know, design the repertoire with that in mind? So yeah, that's that's actually very very important to uh, to know that how um, how to make actually the course. You know, f- first of all, of course, it's like the repertoire for myself. You know, and uh, so it's useful for someone uh, with with my level. And what we also uh, like discuss and we decide that actually it can be used uh, basically up to twenty two, twenty three hundred. So basically, if people would like to reach FIDE master or women grandmaster. Um, title, uh, so because it's actually one, my my goal to re- to reach uh, WGM. Oh, nice! Uh, and yeah, and um, of course, you know, the, it's it's um, pretty tough to foresee who is going to buy the course and what uh, what are they going to look into it. So, of course, the course should have include for um, should be interested as well for for higher rated like relatively higher rated players uh, like. 2000 plus and uh, uh, you know beginners or like club players uh, that's why actually the course includes many you know these typical mistakes which uh, which can be done which can be played uh, like from black side uh, using our repertoire sometimes of course we are we are showing which mistakes we can do so that the players are not uh, are not playing those because there are some very obvious moves sometimes but they simply don't work because of some tactics or something else yeah so uh, it was really important, you know, to show the, the most typical mistakes and also to explain. And, you know, one of the things basically, I think, which also um, sh- shows a lot about the course is that we have 
60 hours of videos there <laughs> yeah so i've been, yeah so i've been so i think it's one one of the longest <laughs> um i mean i don't know if you compare if you if you combine all the chapters you know they're always part one part two part three how how many hours of videos they will be but yeah 60 hours is really a lot and i put a lot of effort to explain and to put as much as, as many lines as possible so that it will be understandable for the uh, for the players, like beginners, club players, and uh, so they have the understanding of the of the ideas. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, uh, Yula. I, I just want to give you a chance to to add to that that subject of you know how you how you create or you know include lines. Maybe is the way I should say it. How you include lines and to what extent that you know speak more to uh, how club players uh, will play and what they'll encounter versus say what what grandmasters would encounter. Yeah, so that uh, that was not an easy part for me, I have to say. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I would just like to react that I, I uh, have heard your name and the, the podcast, so I am I am familiar. Oh, know, thank I, you. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we also get some kind of an instruction that you know in which uh, which range of trainables uh, we should do this. I think mm-hmm. that was that was pretty helpful. And also, like from the beginning, so since I, I really wanted something helpful for Angelica, so it, it was logical to make something which, uh, where the higher limit should be like, or upper limit should be around 23 or maybe even more, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, so the the task, so I believe the analysis of the of the variations and you know and the analy- and, and the comments uh, there. Are, are really good for someone who wants to achieve that uh, that level and for lower rated players or adult improvers or like who are early in or this ambitious journey, chess improvers ambitious like chess improvers uh, <laughs> right. the video is extremely useful so I believe Angelica did an amazing job so so it's not only like mm, explained in, in a very great detail but also some uh, instructive variations are included which obviously unfortunately it uh, so there are really a lot of clickable variations uh, mm. in the course, but Angelica even above uh, that shows many many lines and explains. So, so in general, the video is you know the lower rated, the better the video for you uh, normally. So it, it's done like that, and and I believe one very important thing which which was extremely important for me, both considering Angelica and the potential audience, that. Basically, there is uh, one other thing which uh, which is common, and basically, so we have forty chapters. Really, try to cover everything, so that this psychologically unpleasant or uh, you know trying to make opponent uncomfortable. And other thing is to is to play positionally sound, and you know, like for example, don't have pawn weaknesses. Have a safe king after the the opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, show that we fight for the center basically in every variation so this mm-hmm. you know basic things which are very important uh, from the early stages so these are highlighted and I, I really wanted to to suggest openings to Angelica which which mm, don't have this long-term risk I would say so what I mean by long-term risk that we have a double C pawn and if our attack is on the king's side not uh, successful then in the end game, it will be not too pleasant for us. Or, 
or have an mm -hmm. isolated pawn when we have to show really good uh, skills, attacking <laughs> skills to to not be worse. So that's mm -hmm. uh, that's was that was very important for me because you know, like for example, uh, I don't know someone with fourteen hundred will uh, will learn these lines. I mean, I think it's it's a very good thing to to build on because he will he will start the game with a healthy position and. What is very important for me again with a lot of different type of healthy positions. So it's, for example, uh, my favorite example is that London is an extremely healthy opening, like very nice development, but it's always the same. So, mm -hmm. uh, and we have let's say twenty five different uh, healthy structures, positions, and so on. So that's yeah. that's how we. Maybe also that uh, about the theory as it uh, also one of the. Um, so specialty of the course is that like not for okay okay there are some lines you have to remember of course everywhere there are some lines which which can go sharp and everything but mostly uh, generally we would say probably that uh, throughout the course the lines uh, which which were chosen were um, not you know not not the lines which which are very heavy theoretically so that you don't have to like remember exactly move by move but you just uh, you know read the explanation you or hear the explanation from me and you get this understanding of the moves so why this move was played and for example if similar position happens on the board you will just um, you, you don't have to you know to memorize a move moves move by move but you know we will have this uh, this understanding and then you will come up with a move which is uh, which is good in that position so that was very important to improve the understanding of people's chess and not to bring them, you know, to uh, this uh, memorization of heavy theoretical lines. Yeah, that's great. And I, you know, I, I'm, I appreciate that you do that because a lot of uh, people struggle with that, especially, you know, club level players. They struggle with um, that balance between memorizing and understanding. So I'm always happy to hear when, when someone creates an opening repertoire that puts a strong emphasis on understanding themes and ideas. And, um, and uh, Eula, as you said, also, you know, taking the opportunities to teach basic principles too that maybe a lot of club players still struggle with. Uh, so that's, that's great to hear that you, you kind of covered all those bases. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd like to just shift now to um, basically the, the, the last main part of our interview here, which is answering some improvement questions from my followers on Twitter. And <laughs> when I posed this question the other day on Twitter, uh, uh, it was, you know, it was questions submitted for Angelica, and I, I didn't know that we might have a surprise guest <laughs> <laughs> at the time of uh, soliciting the questions. So what I'll do is I'll let Angelica take the first, uh, because of that, I'll, I'll let Angelica, and, and because the followers are probably expecting to hear from her first, uh, Angelica, you can, um, you know, answer first, and then you if there's something you want to add to her answer or, you know, kind of supplement it, or, you know, even if you have a different perspective, that's fine, too. So first question is from uh, Amy, who is also a friend of mine. Uh, she has the uh, Twitter uh, handle of uh, or the username of uh, Space Amy. Uh, she asks you, Angelica, as a 1D4 specialist, do you find it more difficult to teach this opening to lower level players since it leads to more positional than tactical games? I've always heard club players should focus on tactics before strategy. So I wonder how you approach this. And I'll add one thing to what she said, just for context. She is a London player. Okay, so for sure, the, the tactics is important for the, for the beginners, because that's where the most mistakes are done. And 
Yeah, I mean, as I told myself, you know, from my own experience, uh, like I've I've played 1e4 and it's actually always been advised to play 1e4 from the like very beginning, uh, you know, to have just open positions and uh, and as as uh, Sammy also mentioned, uh, um, to 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 focus on tactics or something like this. But uh, pretty early on, I, I didn't continue. Like maybe for one year, I've been playing one uh, e four and or two years. So I was just just a kid. So and then immediately I was I was thrown basically to to one d four, which I'm not. I would I would not say I'm I'm unhappy. Uh, I I really liked one e four. I still like. I, I I love it very much. And uh, yeah, I mean, probably it also depends very much uh, from player to player how it is. Uh, what what is rather the style? Which positions it's more comfortable to play? But of course, if we're talking with to to very beginners, uh, of course you should try to play. Um, you you can play to try with one e four because it's the most typical one, and then uh, and then go for for one d four with later. But for example, the, okay, since we we already had the topic of chessable, but you know this one d four. Uh, this kind of a repertoire, it can be really, really a good start, you know, for, for the, will, will be like really first serious repertoire, you know, for you. Um, not, not like serious, but as, as a beginner, you know, or like as a, as a club player. Sure. Uh, but generally, of course, in chess, we have to focus on all, uh, stages or like aspects of the game, uh. But uh, yeah, of course, the tactics one of them, and positional plays is another. So, um, so basically, one d four depends, of course, what you are playing. So, if if you are a London player, again, as just has been said by mm-hmm. Dula, that um, you know, in in, in L- London is is pretty um, it's pretty easy to play. Actually, one of the first uh, things I've been playing with one d four was was Ratty. So mm-hmm. like, uh, so that was. Uh, what I was playing, and uh, uh, it was pretty easy, easy setup. Also, like London is pretty easy. Um, you don't have to learn too much. And, you know, once you already had the experience with 1d4, for example, with London, and you want to move further, then you can already start a second move, the, the c4, which is, of course, opening more um, high, like wider range of the positions, uh, of course, more, uh, more fights, more lines and everything. So it also depends what comes after this first move on d4 because f- yeah, first move on d4 can mean London, it can mean Queen's Gambit, it can mean uh, Catalan, so it means it can mean many openings. So yeah, yeah. So, so maybe I can ask a, a follow-up question on that, maybe on her behalf. So as because that's an excellent point that one d4 can mean a lot. Um, if you're trying to address address it from Amy's perspective, where she's still. It's hard to categorize people and their skill levels sometimes, is it not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But she's around, I think, about 1,000 Mm chess.com rapids. So she's still relatively new to the game uh, from a skill perspective. Would you recommend the London for someone at that level? Or would you recommend something different within 1D4? Mm, Of course, again, it's hard to say like without really looking at the case. But um, it's it's good to to try for sure. And... uh, uh, it's very solid, of course. Bec- again, like because you're getting lower range of the of the op- of the openings, which not openings, but the positions which can come after it. So that's uh, of course very, you know, one of the most important things not to get lost immediately after the opening f- for the for the beginners that there is something very stable, something which can, you can rely on. Um, 
but yeah so this this i believe this 1000 is uh, is not that that uh, low low rating i would say so she's okay. already uh, she's already know something yeah yeah <laughs> so she it's, does. it's 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 great uh, it's a good choice and then later she can of course decide but I think also on the early stage, uh, once you're just starting chess, it's the best to try uh, also 1d4 and 1e4. So that just mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, do you want to add anything to that topic? Mm, yeah, actually, I mean, if, if you are an adult, then uh, I think it absolutely doesn't matter if you start with e4 or d4. Okay. So, so okay. You, just, uh, you just pick uh, one of them. Uh, and if you are uh, like more ambitious in uh, in chess or you have more time then i would definitely start with d4 and then second move c4 okay but if you have limited time and if you have the you know like you are doing work and like maximum an hour per day or something then the london is also something which which is good so i would say it uh, it really depends on uh, on ambition yeah yeah that's excellent um, okay, so second question that I have for you. Uh, this is Fran, and her uh, username on Twitter is Obscurator. She asks, as a beginner, three months into learning how to play, how much time should I spend studying versus time spent playing? Is there an ideal balance to strike? So, yeah, there is always a question about the theory uh, and practice, so how much you should should learn, study, and uh, how much you should play. Um and usually, yeah, usually, you know, you should first, of course, decide for yourself how much time you would like to spend for chess, how much time you're ready to spend for chess. Uh, so there is no, like, such rule, okay, you have to spend, like, one hour a day or two or five or ten. Of course, it depends from your goals and ambitions, but uh, so first you have to decide how much time you have, and uh, let's say per week, and uh, then you divide it. So I would say, like, you can play basically as much as you want uh, but those games should matter what i mean by that is that those games cannot be like some bullet or blitz games so that's we try to like exclude <laughs> uh, because those games don't really bring so much sense so the most the more time control the better it is for you the more time you can spend the more time you can think on the games of course blitz you can play it's fun uh, but those who are not playing for learning um or to understand better chess, or to, you know, try to implement the ideas which we have just studied in some openings, for example, when we studied some openings, or when we studied some positions, or some, some tactics. Uh, those the leads is just for fun, but, you know, rapid, and the more time control, the better. You can also play the correspondence chess. Also, some of my students enjoy it very much. Uh, and uh, yeah, I really like that that idea that they can play you know one move per per day, and you can sometimes they play very fast, of course, like in the opening, but then at some moment they really spend some time on thinking. Um, but generally, I would say that something like like one fourth of a time, something like this, so twenty five percent maybe. Like so, it's, um, it should be you should spend more on, on studying than than on playing. But again. Uh, if you have time for playing and you would like it, uh, then do, of course. And also one probably very important advice is not is not to just study. So like not just to study, but also to play. It's very important. So even, for example, if you haven't learned the whole line, I don't know, like you study some opening and you haven't learned it till the end or all the moves, you don't have to worry. You just have to practice. 
you you try to practice okay you your opponent plays some new move you, you just stop and think and and just try to play it just try to gain experience in this um opening and um yeah so that's that's actually very important to combine those two things of, of learning learning opening solving puzzles um looking at the end games uh, and uh, it's also very important for the beginner uh, you know, usually that's that's how they start, how to end the game. So in case you just have a pawn, how how to promote it, or like how to checkmate with a queen or or with a rook or, or something like this. It's uh, also something very important. But for sure, playing uh, for sure playing is is going to help a lot. Okay, so uh, here I believe we we kind of disagree a little bit. So uh, so Angelica said twenty five percent of Playing, I would say rather sixty-five percent of playing. I would, I would recommend. Of course, Angelica has bigger experience at uh, at this level. But uh, again, from my experience, so basically, what I had at at that time when I just started, it was like playing, 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 and uh, you know, the goal is very simple to blunder less, basically, like, and no and understand basic, very basic principles, so like the most basic principles. So, yeah, that, that would be uh, the thing. So I, I would really recommend 65% of the time available. And what would be theory? Theory would be for me like the most uh, elementary checkmate. So to, to checkmate fast with the queen, with the rook, with the two bishops, uh, Bishop and knight. Okay, bishop and knight maybe. Bishop not. and knight is a little Maybe a little bit later, yes. That's, <laughs> yes. that's a little bit later. But like this basic, or like how to promote a pawn when you have the opposition in the endgame. So like the most, absolutely most basic endgames, that would be one. And second one, especially if, uh, if you are playing online. So it's, uh, forget about engine, absolutely. So it, it's very... You know, the analysis can be extremely colorful, for example, on leeches, like with this red, blue and everything. But it's better not to switch it on because the goal is not to have the top three or five or ten uh, move of the stockfish, but just not to blunder. And for that, you know, it's much better to ask even someone who is a little bit better that okay, like or to see the blunder or see if it's a tactical pattern. Uh, so for that engine is not uh, not needed. It's rather harmful because it just shows a very good move which uh, you will not understand for a few years. <laughs> right. You are not. You don't have to play like three thousand. So like it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, interesting points. Interesting points. This person. This is kind of maybe just a fun question. A little, little less uh, difficult in terms of answering like how to improve exactly. Uh, this is from Charlie. Um, username Charlie Chess Cat asks, "What's your favorite chess book from your own personal development or enjoyment?" I guess they weren't super specific. Maybe you could just say like you know, looking back on your chess journey. Was there a book uh, that you particularly loved or had like a really big impact maybe on your in your learning? So actually, I'm not really a, a book person. So I, I <laughs> but I've yeah I've I've read some books in Russian uh, once I was a kid. I was mostly solving there the the position or there were some games. Uh, 
Um, so like, I cannot really remember those, but but uh, and there was a, were not really a lot of them. But uh, you know, the book which which I'm currently uh, I'm involved in right now. So starting it, it's uh, um, so like the there there is um. Uh, series, so yeah, basically of the book. So it's my great predecessors by uh, by Kasparov. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not only you know you find out the history of chess, but also you look at the at the game of chess, how it actually uh, improved throughout the years. And uh, um, of course, it's always been different, and people play differently at every every stage, depending also how how they understood chess and uh, uh, how they how they. Um, basically which attitude they had so like uh, at the beginning those are so so many crazy things happening and uh, uh, now we've we came to the moment where there are so many draws at the top level so so yeah it's it's really something really interesting yeah that's that's great uh Yula, your turn on that question any any books uh, in your own chess journey and career that you particularly loved or had a had a big impact on your improvement yeah i mean i what i really liked and i remembered it's it's an in Hungarian, actually, it's a tournament uh, from uh, Manila Bill. So these two interzonal tournament in 1976, mm. and and another one 19. Uh, okay, it's also in Hungarian. Like uh, it's called our victory in the in the Chess Olympiad 1978 Buenos Aires. So both are in uh, in Hungarian. And I remember I, I played through those games a lot of times. And uh, so I was very small, like, I don't know, eight or nine or, or something like this. And I really liked liked that. I believe it's, it it was like just, just fun. Even just, you know, so this Interzonas, you know, when 20 players played and short, many short rows and so on. But even just playing through those short rows and see why it's like that and... Okay, seven Soviets players are playing, and okay, one or two Hungarians, and so on. So it was it was interesting. And since that time, I I have computer. Unfortunately, I also kind of finished uh, reading books, but uh, on computer, I would say I, I at least I read uh, twenty books uh, material. I would say from these annotated games in uh, in chess base in in the Mega database. Hmm. So I. Like a lot of my improvement, I believe, is connected to to that. That basically uh, every day after school, I I pay, played through like twenty, thirty games, you know, by famous wow. annotators and uh, and players. So that's why you know, whenever I have the possibility with my students, I always uh, emphasize that that it's it's really a good thing to. I mean, basically, it's just annotated games, and you just get familiar with everything, and then, you know, you have a much easier choice in uh, both over the board and just picking your openings and everything. I mean, actually, it's it's in some way my my problem came a little bit long. Sorry that that I actually I like too many things. I I, <laughs> I cannot really pick okay what to play here and there because I like many different things in many different openings, and that's why uh, I mean that was actually a problem for me. Well, I love that answer. I mean, I like hearing uh, anyone be passionate about annotated game books because I am myself and a lot of my favorite coaches out there come on the show and express their their um, uh, their their love and appreciation for annotated game books and how much that can help people learn. And and I also just think it's one of the 
personally. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm biased. I don't know. I think it's one of the most enjoyable ways to learn chess. Yeah, um, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a great answer. Okay, so those are the questions that we'll answer for for this episode. Uh, and uh, it was great having you as a guest. It's exciting to have you as a, a spontaneous, unexpected guest. I hope people enjoyed having you. I did. And um, I appreciated all your answers as well. They were really insightful. Just in case anyone wanted to connect with you in some way after this episode, what's one or two ways that, that would be good to, to reach out to you? Okay, so first of all, uh, thank you for having me. And... Uh, yeah, best way. I mean, I I have a coaching profile on Leeches, so there uh, everyone can see my email address as well. If if interested about uh, coaching or uh, or about some other collaboration, mm-hmm. I also have a Twitch channel, and uh, you may. I mean, this is probably also in uh, in this coaching profile on Leeches. So, like on Leeches, my name is Pop uh, minus G. So. <laughs> very easy to find me uh, I would say so yeah I believe that's the that's the easiest way to, to contact me and then you can also see what other things I did and if, if you're interested uh, you can check those out as well yeah absolutely and uh, yeah thanks so much for coming in and, and uh, helping us discuss this awesome chessable course that you created with Angelica as well as your own insights and answering um, you know amateur players questions so thank you sir really appreciate it thank you for having me and Keep up the great podcast. Thank you. Will do. Okay, so Angelica, I just want to finish with a few brief questions for you. One is in regards to your Twitch channel, which you know, you've know you had for, for some years now. What inspired you to become a chess streamer? First of all, lockdown. <laughs> so it <laughs> was a good, a good push. Uh, so yeah, actually, that's, that's been the beginning of 2020. And, um, you know, I've been studying uh, here in Germany at uh, normal university. So like uh, the, the um, so I was uh, not remote one, but also been studying in, in Ukraine uh, remotely. And I just finished at the end of 2019. And so I had more time. And also... Uh, one of the things which I wanted to improve, because since I've been living in Germany, my German uh, became better than my English. And I had some <laughs> struggles sometimes with English because I didn't really have enough practice. So this was actually one of the reasons which I, why I wanted to to stream, uh, start streaming is also to improve, uh, improve the English. And uh, of course, I just... Uh, just at some moment, I just uh, was going through this Twitch uh, overall. I, I didn't know that actually that chess has been streamed there. Uh, I saw that it's always for some strange uh, killing each other games, uh, Counter-Strike or something like this. But uh, yeah, but it appears that chess is also a really, really nice thing uh, uh, there and many good uh, content creators over there. So that's how I actually started. It was like around ap- April. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I just enjoyed. I just did it for myself. So first, uh, it was just uh, like something I was doing not so regularly, like not every day, uh, like a couple of times, two times a week or once a week. And uh, then, uh, like a few months later, more people started uh, looking at. Uh, at my uh, streams because I was not only playing chess, but I was also singing. And also uh, we had some other um, interesting activities connected with chess. So we were playing and also um, having the um, 
basically this win or dare. So it means that once <laughs> someone is uh, someone is losing, he has to do some um, some um, task from the list, and <laughs> viewers could choose it. So it was really fun. <laughs> That is fun. I don't know. Maybe I'll be brave enough to. You still do that, right? Uh, for now, like there were not so many brave people <laughs> recently <laughs> so to do it. So last time it was like end of last year, I believe. Like yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're still doing it, maybe I'll be brave enough to jump on and and do that. But uh, I'll, I mean, if I'm play, if that means playing you, I'll definitely lose, and so I'll definitely have to do the dare. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you know we can we can create some special uh, you know you can you can get more time or like you know I don't know playing without some piece or I don't know like I have no idea. Like, I see something. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious if you have anything that we can maybe look forward to from you in terms of chess content in the coming year or so like if you plan on maybe doing another chessable course or i don't know any events on your twitch channel or anything at all it's actually very interesting according uh, you know regarding the chessable it's not very clear right now but you know i'm pretty happy that many people uh had a very very good feedback on the course and some even already asking about the blacks repair tour <laughs> for ambitious chess improvers and that's one of the you know questions right now for uh, me for Dula and also for for chessable so that has to be discussed and uh, decided if it's, uh, how how we, how we will proceed uh, so it's not yet clear but it's it's possible uh, the other thing actually which is going to happen uh, in the in, in September or in this month so uh, we will have the. Uh, I'm going to commentate on the um, charity match. It's going to be held uh, in hybrid mode, so it will be played between Berlin and Lviv, the mm. Ukrainian. So basically, Germany, Ukraine, uh, to raise the funds for Ukraine, and uh, basically it will be played by uh, with the Millennium Chess boards, uh, which yeah. So basically, there will be the boards in Berlin. Uh, where German players will play. Play for now. I know that Niklas Hushenbet will uh, will participate, and also some stronger masters from Ukraine. But I'm not yet sure who exactly uh, confirmed the participation. Uh, and basically, they're going to play hybrid, and uh, I'm going to commentate on this event. It will be on the September 23rd on my channel. Uh, I don't not sure about the time yet, but. That that will be the next one, uh, so to say, the the commentating streaming uh, um, plan. But otherwise, I'm just trying. I'm going to try to keep uh, keep up with with my Twitch channel because after the war started, it's been really easy to keep with the schedule uh, because before the war I was streaming basically every day or like five six times a week. Afterwards, uh, yeah, everything just went down, and I've been sometimes not even streaming for for weeks or for even one month. But yeah, I I hope to bring it back to life, <laughs> so to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, beside that, of course, I'm playing myself tournaments. So many tournaments to come. I'm going to Italy at the end of the month, also to play some some tournaments. Uh, and uh, yeah, trying to go for my goal, as I already said. So I have the. The, the WGM. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Okay, so we're going to just finish on a totally non-chess subject just for fun. I have two <laughs> questions for you related to Game of Thrones because I noticed you were a fan. I'm a huge fan. I'm re-watching the entire series right now. <laughs> um, really? Yes, wow. for a second time. Um, and so, okay, my first question, 
I'm pretty sure that this is like your username across like a lot of your channels, but it's definitely at least your Twitter username for uh, Chessborn. So I like I didn't even think anything of that until I like started rewatching um, Game of Thrones and noticed on your profile or your bio that you that you like Game of Thrones. So you know, like they're always talking about like being Ironborn and all that. So I couldn't help but wonder, like, huh, she's a Game of Thrones fan. So is it, it inspired by that? Did, did the chessboard come from Game of Thrones? Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I know there's probably not a lot of story to that. I was just curious. Uh, I was wondering so, if... I, go ahead. So now you probably know who is uh, my favorite character. <laughs> oh, but wait, it could be a couple of them from uh, the Ironborn, uh, you know, them, the Greyjoys. Uh, is it... Oh, see, I'm terrible at like... The, is it Theon? <laughs> No, no, there is there the, is the, other, so the, not Ironborn, but oh, oh, wait, not Ironborn. <laughs> okay, oh, I'll probably take forever to guess it correctly. You can just tell me. <laughs> Stormborn, the Stormborn, yeah, Daenerys, of course, of course, the yeah. mother of dragons, <laughs> mother of dragons, right? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, that was actually uh, I've been I've been basically called like this in in Russian, so it's like <laughs> also basically the same. Uh, if you translate it, so the, uh, but not the stormborn, but I was called the chessborn, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, somehow then uh, I didn't really think about it in, in English language, but then later I was like, huh, it's actually very interesting. And I just decided, okay, I'm chessborn, what to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love the, I love the connection. Um, that's a great name. It's perfect for you. And, you know, my other question related to it, I think you pretty much already answered, which was going to be who's your favorite character, but I'm guessing it's Daenerys, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, last season was a little bit... Okay, yeah, I don't know if you watched, so I don't know. No, no, yeah, I saw, I saw the whole season. Okay. I mean, I saw the whole series. I'm just rewatching it a second time now. Yeah, so second last season, of course, was not that great uh, according <laughs> to to her, but uh, but yeah. otherwise, I I really liked her character and everything. So that's why I also was called like this because uh, some people think that I have similar uh, traits of character like her. So <laughs> so yeah, that that's was awesome. really nice. Uh, minus the seventh season version of her, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Angelica, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here and uh, chatting with me. I think it's exciting everything that you're doing, working on the WGM title, your Twitch channel, your uh, chessable course, and maybe more to come. We'll see. Yeah, it was just fantastic talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, first of all, for inviting, for all the these great questions from you, from your audience. Also, it was uh, it was a pleasure to share, uh, you know, some things about uh, coaching, about my uh, our course on Chessable, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's great, uh, it's great. It's been great uh, chatting with you, Daniel. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, for talking with me, Angelica, and um, wishing you the best on everything that you do, uh, cheering you on for that WGM title. I look forward to watching your journey for that. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of my business, Adult Chess Academy. And that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.